0: Oh boy. <laughs> if there's anyone left out there still listening, how's your life going? It was one long thing after another with me. And you would think I was actually trying to put the show on permanent hiatus. Life, work, personal relationships, family, house stuff, pursuing some new passions, all added up to me not getting in front of this mic. And I tried. Trust me, but I'm, I'm happy to be back and thanks for listening. One of the reasons what kept me away from everything was we had a particularly horrible summer. We had a very long string of hot days back to back to back with humidity that rivals the South. And believe me, I know I lived in the South. It was bad. And normally I don't complain about the heat, but this year it, it got to me. It zapped the life right out of me. Well, let me start by, before I get into anything, I want to address the national disaster that's going on right now and my heartfelt condolences and support of the people living there. I'm talking, of course, about the Detroit Lions defense, which is one of the shittiest defenses I think I've ever seen, at least in some time. As of right now, the Lions have scored more points than any other team in the NFL and they're one in three. That's not good. Okay, all joking aside, Hurricane Ian was a, a real motherfucker. This thing, it was headed for Tampa and at the last minute, cuts right because there's a, a gap, at the line of scrimmage. There's no defenders there. Switches course and heads south. Fort Myers looks like a An atom bomb hit it. And I don't want to talk about the number of people who are dead because that's the kind of stuff that gets me emotional. When Hurricane uh, Katrina hit Louisiana, and I was seeing clips of people on their roofs waving white flags and sheets from the top of their houses and dead people floating down the canals, my heart just sank. Now I know it's risky to move down to Florida because they get hit by a hurricane almost every year, if not every year, But for Christ's sake, look, we've got a season for hurricanes. All right. We have a football season, baseball season, basketball season, all that shit. Out here in California, we have fire season, which is right around the corner. Natural disasters, just a way of life. And I don't know why people continue to get into a climate change discussion when stuff like this happens. You know, is it getting worse year by year? Maybe. But that's not what we should be talking about right now. We have American citizens who are homeless who are dead, displaced, a state that's facing billions of dollars to get itself back to where it was. I just, I hate when people make this about politics because it's certainly not about politics. It's about human beings. These are American citizens. They didn't vote the same way you did the last election. Who cares? None of that matters. got to be supportive of all Americans. Canadians too. I almost got a podcast out. Last month, Chuck came down to visit me about a month ago. I was hoping we could sit down face-to-face, shoot the shit for about an hour. But even that didn't happen. It was only a few days. I wanted him to meet my stepdaughters, meet some of my close friends. I was hoping we could golf, but his finger was messed up. But more than anything, we, we just talked a lot. We cooked a lot. When I knew he was coming, I got my house in order, started planning meals that we could make, get all my modernist cuisine equipment out, my powders. It all started to feel like the old days when Katrina and I would host these dinner parties. Now, I wasn't melancholy about it, but I did kind of yearn for days like that. She'd be plotting her table setting. I'd design the menu, print the menu, shop for ingredients for days, start to plan the prep. Anyway, he loved it. I loved it. We share some great wine and beers together. Some football games, Dodger games. Perhaps the best four days that I've had in my house for years. And the coffee. Jesus, that's a whole other episode of Oprah. We were hand grinding beans for espresso every morning. And his beans just get better and better. Now he's double fermenting and hand drying his own beans before he roasts them. It blew the taste buds right out of my mouth. When he left... And I had to go back to the coffee that I roast. It was like having Kate Beckinsale as a housemate for a long weekend. And then suddenly, for the next few weeks, your, your housemate's Donatello Versace. You know, the skeleton made out of beef jerky. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you something, that the long layoff wasn't the worst thing about the past couple of months, believe me. I got back from the worst camping trip of my life in August. Just a complete shit show. Two years ago, after my tragedy, I'm hanging out with my friends, and one of them says, Phil, you know what you need to make you happy? You need to go camping. And I said, You know, what? I could really use that right now. Just be out in the outdoors, away from everybody. So we all decided to go to this special place in the eastern Sierras, very secluded, no running water, no toilets, no electricity, no cell reception. I mean, you're in the woods. So we went and had a great time, and it was really what I needed. So we decided to try to recapture that magic because last year they had fires. We couldn't go. So we went and it was a disaster. I mean, we get there. Mosquitoes everywhere, biting the shit out of us. There's a storm coming. It rains a lot up there. So we knew it was going to rain. So we find a campsite. We start to, you know, put up our shit before it starts raining on us. And one of my friends is not feeling well. He's sitting in a chair. He can't set up anything. I said, what's wrong? He goes, I shouldn't have come. I said, what happened? Because I fell down last night and I haven't felt good today. Then he gets up and starts dry heaving in the bushes. I'm like, oh shit, he's got a concussion. So we have to, be set stuff up for him, get him all set up. And he wasn't the same. The entire weekend he was just bad. Fishing sucked because the creek is really low. I think the deepest part of that place was maybe a foot. And you're not going to catch fish there. So we decide we're going to go to a lake, a nearby lake, and they don't. We're not leaving until like eleven thirty. Now you are not going to catch fish in the middle of the afternoon like that. You get a morning bite and you get a, a late evening bite, but the fish when the sun comes up, the fish go deep because they don't want to get you know picked off by a hawk or some shit. So we are planning to go there. One of my other friends is in the back of his pickup truck. He's got a Tundra and he's got one of these foldable bed covers, and apparently it was not secured, and it comes down on him, hits him in the face and knocks him backward in the bed of his truck and knocks him out for about three seconds. Now he's got a concussion. Now he's dry heaving in the bushes, constantly restless, just miserable. And the problem is, these guys, we are very remote. We're three hours away from any big city if they had to take him to a hospital. And airlifting somebody out of there, that's like $50,000. Not to mention, we didn't have any phone reception. We're kind of screwed. So we got through it. And when I got home, I just told myself, no more. And I told the guys, I go, we're not going to do this again. You know, we had a a good time two years ago. Let's just remember that. And it kind of put a really bad taste in my mouth for camping. So next spring, I'll do it again, but... Not with those guys. (laughs) I love them. I love my friends, man, but I can't do that shit again. That was too much. And it was hot. We had to drive through the desert. You know, it's like a six-hour trip. Driving through the desert and you get out to fill the truck with gas. It's like 108 degrees. Just miserable. Speaking of the desert, did you see they found another body in Lake Mead? That's like four now, I think. I wonder what people who live in that area are thinking about this. That's a reservoir, right? Haven't people been drinking that water for years? Now they've got to realize a dead body's been decomposing in it? <laughs> that's brutal. I have some really decent water filtration in my house, but I'm, sh- I'm not sure that it take any of that shit out of it. Damn, it's dark. Uh, so many things I had bookmarked. and just had to keep taking things out because they were time-sensitive. So I'm looking what's left here. Oh, The Rebound. I watched this funny movie a couple months ago, The Rebound with Catherine Zeta-Jones. Pretty silly film, but had some entertaining scenes in it. She goes on a first date with this dude. He's a doctor, handsome, very charismatic, well-dressed. You can see, she's, you can tell she's enthralled with this guy. He goes in for a kiss, and the look on her face, like she's going to she be swept away here. Then you see something catch his eye, and he says to her, just a minute, puts up his finger, starts to walk away. Now the camera's back on her. She looks at him, and this look of horror crosses her face. There is a porta-shitter set up right in the street, and he starts to go into it. He says, this will only take a minute. Then you start to hear the sounds. It's obvious he's sitting down. He's going to make number two here. Then he starts talking to her through the porta-potty while he's on the can. (laughs) So tell me more about yourself. What do you like to do for... Fun, (laughs) complete with all the sound effects that you'd expect from this show. Just the perfect potty humor scene. And I had not seen one that well executed in a while. Usually they're like way over the top, like dumb and dumber. This one was treated with kid gloves and it was outstanding. And I know what you might be thinking. Why the hell you still watch that crap? Because it makes me happy. If I'm not reading or watching sports or watch a documentary so I can learn something, movies like this I always know they're gonna have a happy ending or food shows like I've been away from the food scene for the better part of the last decade for the most part and one of the things I slowly started to catch up on was Top Chef on Bravo if you ever listened to my life as a foodie you remember I used to break down episodes of that show like Talk Soup but Top Chef was a staple in our house I'd watch it for inspiration Katrina liked the drama there was always a villain You know, someone that you could root against. And more often than not, that person would be very good and they'd keep winning. She could continue to dislike them. So I got through season 18. It was the first time that I can remember that there was no one to dislike. I almost wonder if it was because they filmed it during the pandemic. And these chefs all had to close their restaurants. You know, they were like us. They were pinned down, shuttered in their homes, away from people. So this was an opportunity for them to have fun and cook with a bunch of other talented chefs, you know, it's refreshing. Now, the crop of cooks were not the best I've ever seen. Pretty damn good, though. Season six. I said it before. I'll continue to say it. You're never going to get better. You're never going to have a better selection of chefs. You had the Fataggio brothers. You had Kevin. That smoking hot piece of ass used to work for Eric Repair, Jennifer Carroll. Jesus, what a lineup. But outside of the food and the cooking, And staring at Padma's tits, what I really enjoyed was the car sponsor for season 18. BMW provided them with a fleet of X6s. It's a sports coupe. I think it was the M series. Jesus on the cross if I didn't want to have sex with that car. The upper end models come with this twin turbo V8, rings in about 600 horsepower. That's a race car. Well over a hundred grand. I had to look it up. I'm safe from ever having to bear that kind of responsibility because if there were ever a car that I would see pulled to the side of the road more often, it was a BMW, but what a sex machine. Like I love my Lexus. It's given me zero problems and the V6 and that thing more than I need. I drive like an old person. I have all my life. I look from afar when it comes to cars like this. I'm almost tempted to go to a BMW dealership just so I can sit inside one of those things. Because for years, Top Chef they were sponsored by Toyota, right? They'd be driving around on a Rav Four or a Prius, which, by the way, gets a bad rap. It's actually a very nice car. But for them to hit these heights, BMW—that's astonishing. Ratings do get you everywhere. Okay, so I have a couple bizarre things I want to share today, and they both involve animals. Or these are both from Associated Press, which is where I go to for my news now, because they—they just report, no analyzing. No opinion pieces. I just want the news. This is in Massachusetts. A gray seal that wandered into a Massachusetts pond and evaded authorities' attempts to capture him turned himself in on Friday after waddling up to the local police station. The gray seal first appeared earlier this month in Shoe Pond in the city of Beverly, northeast of Boston. The animal is believed to have traveled to the pond from the sea via a river and drainage pipes. The seal quickly became a local attraction, and was even named Schubert after his chosen pond. Firefighters and wildlife experts used boats and giant nets in an effort to capture the wily animal Thursday, but gave up after several fruitless hours. Early Friday morning, however, Schubert left the pond, crossed a parking lot, and appeared outside the door of a local police station, looking up for some help. (laughs) Sure. The seal was quickly corralled by a team of wildlife experts, firefighters, and the police department's entire midnight shift. Schubert appeared to be in good health and was a little sassy in the morning, in the early hours. The seal was transported to Mystic Aquarium in Mystic, Connecticut, where aquarium staff will perform a medical exam before releasing him back into the wild. You know, if you give me the option to get next to a seal or a sea lion, I take the seal every time. Sea lions are unpredictable, much heavier, got fangs. I don't know that anyone's ever been attacked by a sea lion, but I know if there was ever going to be one person who would, it would be me. They're clumsy, they've got foul breath, and they look pissed off. I'll be on my paddleboard cruising through the bay. You'll see these things laying down on these floating barges where people keep their boats. You get close enough. These things bark at you. Marona, me, the breath on these things. You ever know, you ever see how they make uh, fish sauce? They'll take thousands of anchovies, salt them, and put them in a 50-gallon drum, cover it, let the whole thing rot in the sun. That's how it's fermented. When they lift that lid, the aroma, a stench is more fitting word, the stench that comes out of that thing, that's sea lion breath. It's any wonder how they procreate without passing out first. I didn't know the seals were that smart. I have an odd story to share, though. I once, uh, I was telling an old friend of mine. He says, is there anything you wouldn't eat? And I said, no, not yet. I'll eat pretty much anything. I'm always like, trying to explore my options and widen out. Well, it turns out his family is from Alaska, and they are natives. It's a custom for those people to hunt and kill seals every year and then eat them. So he brings me back seal meat from Alaska. Brought me elk, too, which I thought was really delicious so i ate the seal meat because the damn thing did give its life for his family but i did not enjoy it it just it tasted like i don't know murder <laughs> all right second story here woman who brought a raccoon to north dakota bar is charged this is in maddock north dakota a woman who brought a wild raccoon into a north dakota bar which prompted state health officials to issue a warning about potential rabies exposure, is facing criminal charges. Aaron Christensen, 38, of Matic, is charged with misdemeanor counts of providing false information to law enforcement, tampering with physical evidence, and unlawful possession of fur bearers. Christensen was arrested last week after authorities found her and the raccoon by serving several search warrants in and around Matic. Christensen said her family found the raccoon on the side of the road about three months ago and named it Rocky. She said they were nursing the animal back to health with plans to release it back into the wild. It's illegal, under North Dakota Board of Animal Health Laws, to keep a wild raccoon. Authorities euth- they euthanized the animal. and it, t- it tested negative for rabies. They killed it? Huh. Christensen took Rocky to Maddock Bar on September 6th during happy hour and showed the raccoon to customers. Bartender Cindy Smith said the animal never bit anyone at the bar. Nevertheless, North Dakota's Health and Human Services Department issued a warning asking anyone who may have been bitten or had contact with a raccoon's saliva to seek medical care. Wow. My goodness, so much to unpack here. Why'd they kill the raccoon? First off, how incredibly lonely must you be to take a wild animal home and make it your pet, then bring it to a bar to have drinks with it? Fucking nut job. One of my friends, the guy who got knocked out by his truck's bed cover, he had a pet skunk in his 20s. They had it deskunked, I guess. Because you know about skunks. They get scared or startled. They'll turn around and piss on you. And that pee reeks like nobody's business. And this wasn't a made-up story. He showed me pictures of him with the skunk. So to this day, when he sees a dead skunk on the side of the road, it gets all emotional. Now his story, I thought was kind of cool. But this? That woman needs to find a dude. Or adopt a dog or some shit. Imagine you're in a bar. Someone walks in with a raccoon. I pee like happy hour. Fuck this. Check, please. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. Those things are as unpredictable as a sea lion. They're vicious little fuckers. When I was first dating Katrina, I was going back to my car after seeing her one night. There was a raccoon right next to my driver's side door. When I approached it, it stood up on its hind legs, hissed at me. I swear I nearly pissed myself, I swear to you. I think I threw a rock at it or something. Man, the world just keeps getting weirder and weirder. This country. Okay, what else do I have here? Oh, Bourdain again. This was all over every major news outlet last week. There's a new unauthorized biography on Bourdain. It's coming out soon. Down and Out in Paradise. It's being slammed by people inside of Bourdain's circle because it's filled with inaccuracies. That's not uncommon, you know. Consider that Bourdain had people that were close to him that aren't willing to break, you know, his trust or his privacy. So they probably gave him very little, and he was forced to fill in blanks. And that's not fair. You know, you got to have stuff to read. If you do read this, you got to take it all with a grain of salt. So how good's it going to be? I mean, the guy's writing a book here. You're giving him bupkus. You can't write a book with just a few light comments here and there. No teeth. You got to give it teeth. And that's not right. But what was most poignant to me in the article that I read is that Octavia, Bourdain's second wife, has control of his estate, which includes his phone and his electronics. So, Octavia, of all people, gave this guy access to those texts. And the texts give us more insight as to what drove him to do what he did. Because if you remember the last half hour of Roadrunner, the documentary, they kind of laid out what happened. You know, when Bourdain met Aja Argento, he was instantly like smitten with her. He was all over her. He smothered her. And you could tell it was making her feel uncomfortable. When they were filming that uh, Parts Unknown, the Rome episode, it was her local place. And they were about to film it. And he asks her, are you sure that you want to name this place? Because once people see this, Americans are going to come in droves and you'll never be able to get a seat here again. She said, I don't give a fuck about that. Just don't break my balls. So remember that last line, don't break my balls. Because after the whole Harvey Weinstein thing, she comes out, he starts championing her on social media, TV interviews. This guy was all in. Remember, Tony was an addict. Drugs, all in. Alcohol, all in. Travel, all in. He was all in on her. She was his new addiction. Then he was all in on the Me Too movement. She felt like she was being crushed. So she goes out on a date behind his back. The paparazzi catch it. It's in the papers in a couple of days. And the worst thing is that they were seen at the same restaurant and hotel that she and Tony had their first affair in. That stung even further. He wasn't the same after that, man. He, you know, continues to text her. And she just continued to distance herself from him. All right, so this is from the article. Mr. Bourdain's mindset in his last days and hours will forever be a matter of speculation. But there is no doubt his friends were concerned, and his last texts shed some light on his state of mind. When the group returned from Friedberg that night... Oh, let me back up. So, you know, he he, he did this while they was filming an episode in France with Eric repair So they returned from Friedberg that night. A worried Mr. repair who was staying in the room next door to Mr. Bourdain's, put his ear to the wall, and to his relief, heard his friend snoring peacefully. The next day, the book says, Mr. Bourdain and Miss Argento fought again. I am okay, he texted her. I'm not spiteful. I'm not jealous that you've been with another man. I do not own you. You are free, as I said, as I promised, as I truly meant. But you were careless. You were reckless with my heart, my life. The only thing that hurt, he wrote, was that the tryst took place in the Rome hotel that they loved. He asked for her mercy. She wrote, I can't take this. She told him she couldn't stand his possessiveness and could no longer stay in the relationship. After the next day's filming, Mr. Learson reports... uh, Learson's the guy writing a book. Mr. Bourdain went out by himself and ate and drank a lot. He and Miss Argento then had their last text exchange, which Mr. Learson places at the start of his book. Bourdain, is there anything I can do? Argento, stop busting my balls. Bourdain, okay. That evening, he hanged himself. Stop busting my balls. From my experience with endings like this, people who are already feeling hopeless start becoming introspective and they see that they're becoming a person that they can no longer live with. And instead of reaching out and asking for help, they just leave Earth. I can't answer the rest. I mean, people ask all the time why not ask for help? Maybe they're too proud. Maybe they're afraid of the ramifications if they do. Was he worried about his his self-image? He certainly made references over and over again about death, about dying, about hanging himself. Tony was a dark motherfucker, man. People who love themselves don't say shit like that, and they don't do that stuff. I mean, in Roadrunner, Octavia said, toward the end, she and her daughter, they'd see Tony once a month if they were lucky. He has a daughter, right? Thinking he wants to be a dad... Then finds out he wasn't capable of doing that. He couldn't be a good father. Dude, tough shit. You brought a human being on this earth. Try harder to be a good father. It takes work. Devote yourself to her. He couldn't do it. So, he leaves a, a trail of destruction. Now, I do not think I'm buying this book. It seems disrespectful. And the stuff I would be curious about, it's already in the article. Listen, life is hard, all right? We all know that. As a survivor of a tragedy like this makes me want to help anybody who has thoughts of doing something that reckless you know people love you they want to help you everybody's a project all right don't think that anyone has a right to judge you or will look down on you if you cry out for help suicide hurts everybody who loves you everybody who knows you people who care about you those crisis hotlines they're open for a reason you better bet your ass they work I have refrained from sharing any details about my late wife, Given away her name, nothing. Not even discussing what happened. If you know me, you know the story. But let me tell you, it changes you. I think about her every day. I miss her. I still, I'll always love her. And I wonder what else I could have done. And that answer has been given to me several times. Nothing. There was nothing more I could have done. So if you or anybody you know is suffering from depression, or showing these signs, keep a steady eye on them. Ask questions. Do, do not judge. Do everything you can to give them hope. Okay, so I mentioned paddle boarding earlier. Just mentioned my late wife here. These two things are connected, and it leads me to my next subject. When I first met her, and we were getting to know each other, I'd asked, you know, what'd she like to do for fun? Mind you, she loved what she did for a living, okay? It seemed to kind of define her. Beauty, fashion, elegance. She told me she felt like she never worked a day in her life because she loved what she did so much, which is great. I mean, how many people can say that? My brother, Debbie Lee for sure, you know, chef in love with her work. So she comes back, she says uh, she likes to fish. She likes to knit, LOL. And uh, she'd like to get into stand-up paddleboarding someday. Now you should know, she was gorgeous, all right? She reminded me of Catherine Keener, the actress, mature Sultry, had the smoky look about her. Absolute stunner. I love to fish. One of my favorite things on earth. I remember texting her back that I'd met a lot of women who love to fish, and they look nothing like you. (laughs) No offense to anybody. Being on an SUP was something I was intrigued with, although I prefer sitting in a boat or a kayak. Standing up on the waters just seems bizarre to me. So later in the relationship, I decided I'm going to buy her a stand-up paddleboard for her birthday. Her birthday's right around the corner, actually. She would have been 50. So when I did, she insists that I get one, too. So we started paddleboarding together. It was a lot of fun. And I did the stand-up thing for a while, but I was getting jack shit out of that experience. Kneeling and rowing was more my speed. And when I say speed, I'm not fucking around. I mean, I can haul more ass on that thing than people on that show of my 400-pound life, all right? That's a lot of ass. I'm getting somewhere with this. All right, hang in there. I ramble. I cycle on Saturdays with this group from the app Meetup, which is not a dating app, by the way, but you can certainly meet people there who share your passions. I love the group. I love the people. I look forward to the rides every week. So recently the rides have been kind of spaced out every other Saturday. So two Saturdays ago, one of the organizers said there would be no ride the next week, but he was trying to get people together to go kayaking. I said, I have a paddle board. Would that work? He said, yeah, absolutely bring it. So we went this past Saturday. It was phenomenal. We went a total of six miles, which is like five and a half miles longer than I've ever traveled on that thing at once. My knees were sore afterward. When I got home, I bought knee pads for the next time. But the experience was something. I can hardly put this into words. And you know me and my big fucking mouth, that's saying something. We started at the aquatic center in Newport Beach, Back Bay, and then paddled all the way around the harbor to Leto Island, had lunch on our boards and our kayaks, Saw some sea lions, some jumping fish, dead fish, some houses none of us could ever afford, and just simply enjoyed spending the day on the ocean. The sea lion, we are close to this dude. It was one of the largest I've ever seen. And people pull out their cameras to take pictures. It almost looked like he was posing for them. Sticks his nose up in the air, like one of those stuffy waiters in jolly old England. James, bring me the caviar! <laughs> oh man, listen, take this with a grain of salt. This sounds like gossip. It's coming from People Magazine and Page Six. Oh, Yahoo Sports got it now. This broke yesterday, I think. Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchkin, however you say her name, have both hired divorce lawyers. I knew something was in the water with those two. She wanted him to retire. So he quits for four weeks in the offseason, which is not retirement. He misses the preseason as he promised him a vacation, Preseason means diddly squat. His team sucks. You know, she's like, dude, call it a day already. He's like, fuck that. I'm Tom Superman Brady. I don't play football into my 50s. <laughs> I'm Gordy Howe over here. <laughs> you remember Gordy Howe? Couldn't get that old codger off the ice because Wayne Gretzky was breaking all of his records. See, so he gets, comes out of retirement, gets out there, starts throwing darts, wearing a geriatric diaper. Ugh. Hey, listen, I hope this is true. My buddy Sue has a mad crush on Tom. She'd be right up his alley. Ah, Susan Brady. That's a killer ring to it. (laughs) I don't get this. Hey, listen, all joking aside, I hope this is fake news. I don't like seeing broken families. And guess what? She out-earns him. She makes more money than he does. So the divorce would be pretty easy. You keep your money, I'll keep my money. But the kids? Fuck this, man. Divorces are hard on kids, trust me. Any of you from a broken family? Any of you in a broken family? You know the drill. The kids are the ones who suffer. Stay together till the kids are out of the house, All right, then get a divorce. Surely that mansion that you guys live in has more rooms than you can count on both hands. Separate bedrooms, whatever. Just play nice until the kids are in college. You want to know what's weird? I don't know if any of you are keeping up with this story, but there's a serial killer... In and around Stockton, California, in the center of our state, he's killing random men, and they suspect it's a dude. So far, he's killed five, and he's still at large. This happens right around the same time that Netflix releases the Jeffrey Dahmer series. It's a horrible coincidence, so I'm trying not to make a joke out of it. But I've always found it odd that right around the last week of September, going through the month of October, you start seeing articles and videos posted about ghosts or paranormal activity. Because of course, Halloween's a month away. You don't hear jack shit about this the rest of the year. Only when it's time to start decorating your home for Halloween and thinking about you know what costume you're going to choose to make a complete ass of yourself at the end of the month the office party. Honestly, if you're over the age of 18 and you're dressing up for Halloween, you may as well cut to the chase, all right? Put one of those name tags on your shirt. Just write, hello, my name is douchebag. Halloween is to be celebrated by everyone in different ways. You leave the costumes to the kids. This has been my theory for a long time. Like, look, if you're like, if you're over the age of 30, you shouldn't be wearing a sports jersey with another dude's last name on it. And while I'm at it, not yours either. It was at that time we were walking the, into Staples Center to see a game and there was a short fat dude wearing a Kobe Bryant jersey sized OMG. I mean, I didn't even know they made them this large. Looked like a car cover. I turned to my wife and I said, Hey, look, honey, this is Kobe Bryant. She said, he looks like he ate Kobe Bryant. Ghosts, paranormal. I know everyone has their theory. Let me tell you something. As someone who has cried out openly for signs of paranormal life, it's not there. You pass on, everything goes with you. Don't let anybody tell you anything differently. It's physically and scientifically impossible. But it sells a lot of movie tickets, sells a lot of books, greatest selling book of all time, the Bible, load of rubbish, but entertaining because it scares the living shit out of you. People like to have the living shit scared out of them. I used to terrorize kids in our neighborhood every Halloween night in Fullerton. Katrina be passing out candy to the kids. I'm walking around the neighborhood, put on this monster garb, walk through the streets purely for entertainment, mine mostly. I don't consider that me flaunting around in a costume. I mean, I was there to do a job. And that job was to give kids nightmares when they went to bed that night. I swear, for the few years I did that, it brought parents so much joy. Because I would learn later how cocky teenagers could be. And they were thanking me for taking their kids down a peck or two. Why the hell did they have to euthanize that raccoon? It still gets to me. Maybe because it had so much human interaction, they probably fed it. That could be it. I'll bet that's it. Like why the Forest Service enforces that do not feed the bears thing or making sure that you keep your food in a locker. It's so the minute they find an easy source to food, they start to rely on it and they end up starving to death. I think that's why, but it still sucks. Lock her up! Lock her up! <laughs> Forget Hillary and the emails, this woman fed a wild raccoon cat food for a few weeks and they had to put the bandit down before it started breaking into the local PetSmart. Dumbass. Okay, kids, I gotta run. It's been fun. I hope the five of you that are still listening have a great week. Thanks for listening. Until next time, and I hope it's next week, not next month. My name is Phil, and this has been Inane. Cheers.